And because that's true, O oh God, you, the creator of the universe, as busy as you are keeping track of billions of stars and all the planets, the author of life and so the creator of seven billion people on this planet, as busy as you are keeping track of all of us, to think, God, that you actually have time and even care to pay attention to what's going on in each of our lives and that you really do hear us when we call to you. It's almost beyond our ability to comprehend. I love to hear the sound of the rain and the thunder, God. I can't make rain, neither can anybody else in this room. I can't cause it to thunder. And this morning, it seems to me, while we worship you, you have decided to bless us with a fingerprint of your sovereign power. We praise you, oh God, we praise you. And I'm asking God that you'd be kind enough to unleash that power into the life of every person in this room right at the point where you know we need your touch. And I pray this in the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Amen. Wonderful worship this morning. Thank you, Pastor Mark and friends. I want to dismiss the children, the little ones, up through grade four, please. In 1963, I was 12 years old and living in Haiti with my parents, missionaries that this church had sent to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the people of Port-au-Prince and the surrounding area. In that year, a, a revolution broke out in that country and it became quite dangerous where we were living in the capital city of Port-au-Prince and the American embassy sent word out, all American citizens who would desire to leave safely, we will have an airplane at the airport tomorrow morning, you all get one suitcase and this will be your only chance to get out. And because the American embassy only had a very small contingent of less than a dozen soldiers, they also sent word, and we cannot guarantee your safety if you choose to stay. I didn't know about that. But that night, the men on the campus where I was living, the, the dads of the missionaries got together and prayed and talked about it. And they decided three of them should stay and all the rest should take the women and the children and leave for America. So the next morning, I had my little suitcase and my brother had his and my sister was only four. She didn't have a suitcase. But my mother's suitcase was filled with her things and My dad didn't have a suitcase. He was one of the three who stayed. And for a 12-year-old, I didn't fully understand why. When we came home to the States, we came here to this community because my mother's parents lived on Norwegian Hill, Harold, Salveson, and Ruth. And the Gospel Tabernacle, Calvary Community Church, welcomed us and loved us. And Pastor Jerry Gillespie, who was the pastor at that time, ministered to our family. And I'll never forget that. 
you may see in your worship folder that Pastor Jerry and Barb are moving this week to move down near their family. And I asked Pastor Jerry, would he be kind enough to come, not knowing that we'd have a torrential downpour outside, but come and say goodbye to you and pray over you, his church family. And so his sons are here. And would you bring him, uh, please, uh, to, to meet uh, his dear church family? He was kind enough uh, to come. And uh, we're going to see if he'd be kind enough to come all the way up on the platform so you can see him. His sons will help him. Dave, you want to help us, please? And we'll let him sit. You want to sit, Pastor Gillespie? You want to sit or stand? Would you rather hold on to the pulpit? Welcome, Pastor Jerry, and thank you for coming. Complete without Barbara standing beside me. I'll hold it for you. It has always been a team effort in a ministry that God has allowed us to be in. Even our overseas ministries, I think there's only two times of our many trips that she did not go with me. One to Riga, Latvia, and one of our five trips to Bolivia. Our, tip, our ministry was varied, but God graciously enable us to accomplish a few things for his glory. And I'm just glad that I could be here for this day. I, I don't know exactly how to respond to all of this, but... Uh, Pastor Gillespie, would you pray over your church family, please? Can, can I share one verse of scripture? Of course. I, th- I, I jotted down this yesterday. Here, I'll help you. And it's from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. And I said to myself, that describes Calvary Community Church. For you welcomed us here as an inexperienced young man and his dear wife and a few children. And you've loved us, and you've encouraged us, you've mentored us. I could spend a lot of time this morning, Pastor Doug, just reiterating all many ways that this wonderful church, this church, Calvary Community Church, ministered to us. It wasn't so much me ministering to you as it was for you. And I thank God for you, and you are dearly loved. Would you care to pray for your church family? This is your church, O God. You have brought it to fruition down through the years. You have met with us. You've changed some some of us. You have sent out many of us. And this has been your work. And now I pray for each one, each dear one that's a member of this church, an attender of this church, 
that you will bless them, yes, but that you will also cause them to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. There is much work to be done. You have accomplished much, Lord. Receive the glory unto yourself. But, oh, God, I pray that this church, Calvary Community Church, will never lose its vigor and its love and its commitment to you. I commit them to you. I commit the pastor and the staff to you. And I ask, oh, God, that you put your arms around them to encourage them, comfort them in your love so that you would receive the glory in the ministry of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. When you think about the word legacy, isn't this what you think about? So as Pastor Jerry is seated, I'd like to pray over him. God, we thank you for the heritage and the legacy of Pastor Jerry Gillespie and his family. At this very hour, one of his sons and uh, his daughter-in-law are one of our missionaries reaching an unreached people up in British Columbia, the Chilcolton Indian people. I thank you, O oh God, that two of his sons are here with him today. We give you praise for who Pastor and Jerry are by your design and the thousands and thousands of lives that you have touched through them. We entrust them to your care as they move from here to be closer to their family. And we're grateful for the years that you have once again blessed us with having them with us. Now as we open your word, O oh God, please would you speak to us as we prepare our hearts to participate together in celebrating, Lord Jesus Christ, your life, your death, your burial, and your resurrection, and your lordship in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. This is uh, the beginning of the fifth week following Easter. And I wonder how much difference Easter is still making in your life, really. If you'd open your copy of God's Word to 1 John in the New Testament, 1 John, I'd like us to consider that those disciples who knew Jesus, had followed Jesus, and had seen him alive, felt strongly that you and I would understand that it was more than just a story. In those weeks, just like these weeks, following the resurrection of Jesus, they had to decide what would they say to the listening world about this person, Jesus. John was his very good friend. John alone had stood at the cross. John was the one who had been entrusted by Jesus with his mother, you'll remember. So I can imagine that Mary and John had long hours of conversation about Jesus. And finally John takes up the quill and he begins in 1 John chapter 1 telling us about this Jesus. Look what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Do you see the plural there? John is saying, I and a few others 
know with certainty that Jesus Christ is alive because we've seen him and we know him and we've heard him and we want to tell you therefore as eyewitnesses the difference that he's made in our lives. This we proclaim concerning the Word of Life, capital W, Word of Life. John saying to you and I, as he did in the Gospel of John, he is the living Word of all truth. The life appeared, we've seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. John making it very clear, let there be no misunderstanding. This Jesus came from heaven to earth, incarnation, to live among us and to proclaim God's truth here. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. The word is koinonia, fellowship. It means a relationship that is based on a common experience or a common truth. He is saying we, the disciples and others who know him, we have this koinonia, this fellowship, because of our shared experience with the risen Jesus. And if you will come to know him, you will join in this shared koinonia fellowship that is unique to those who know the risen Jesus Christ. And our fellowship is also with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our joy complete. In other words, John is saying, if you'll believe that it's true and meet this Jesus, you will have a deeper joy and contentment than you can possibly find any other place, and you'll be sharing with us in that which we have found. Now, you could insert right there the first 14 verses of John's gospel because it fits perfectly there. So could I ask you to put a finger there or something and turn to John's gospel. That is his story, as you know, of the account of the life of Jesus. And in the first chapter of the gospel of John, he begins similarly. But now it's not talking about the fact that he's an eyewitness. Now he wants you to know who is this Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Three times the word Word with a capital W, he's talking about the Logos. It means ultimate truth, wisdom, understanding. What he's saying is God is all truth, and from him all truth has come, and everything has its origin in him and his truthfulness. He says he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. He is saying, he, Jesus, is God and is the origin of all. He's truth and is the origin of all. This morning as we were worshiping, the, the words were great truth, and often the pictures behind the words challenged you and me to consider the vastness of the universe. And John says, Jesus made it all. In him was life. He's also the origin of life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not comprehended, has not understood who he is. Verse 9, the true light that, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Do you remember that Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light, the truth of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in the darkness of the world. 
So he's come here to be living truth and to invite us to step out of the darkness and know him and follow him, the living truth, right? John goes on and says, he was in the world. And though the world was made by him through his efforts, by his spoken word, the world did not recognize him who made this world. He came to that which was his own, a human race made by him in his own image, but his own did not receive him, not even the Jewish people who he had called to be his own. Yet, verse 12, yet there's hope, because to any and all who have received him and who have believed in his name, that's that first first faith step, to those he has given the right to be children of God. That's a powerful statement because it says that when you and I take that faith step believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the origin of all, the creator of all, all truth, and that he came here for the purpose of bridging the gap between us and God, that that belief positions us for God to be able to unleash in us that life-changing, life-transforming work that only he can do, right? And very few people believed it. Children, we become, children of God, children born not of natural descent or, or of human decision or a husband's will, but children of God. What he's saying is you're not stepping into a religion. You're stepping into a relationship with Almighty God. No other faith system on the planet offers that, right? And it gives you and me and any other person who believes in Jesus the right to speak to God and call him Father, your Father, and expect him to love and care for you like a perfect father should. The Word became flesh incarnation. He came here and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. We saw the glory of the miracles. We've heard the glory of the truth. We saw the glory of his atonement death. We've seen the glory of his resurrection. And later, we saw the glory of his ascension. And John is saying, that glory has changed my life. And I invite you to consider it could change yours, too. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace, God's kindness to us that we don't deserve, and truth. If you turn back to 1 John, John says, So now you understand I and others are eyewitnesses. It's not a story. And you understand now who Jesus is. Now the question is, what difference should he make in your life? And this is really important. Because in John's day, later after... uh, Jesus had returned back to heaven. There were many who were believing in him, but their lives were demonstrating very little change. And so John writes in verse 5, this is the message that we have heard from him and we declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness. God is truth. In him there is no deception, no untruth. God is holiness, and in him there is no evil, no wickedness. God is right, in him there is no wrong. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Powerful truth statement. And then look at the next verse. If we claim as human beings to have fellowship with him, the God of light, the God of truth, the holy God, and yet we walk in the darkness, there's a problem. We are lying. We we are being deceitful. And we are not living by the truth. 
What John is saying there is it's wonderful to have all this great information about who Jesus is. It's even wonderful to have seen him with your own eyes. But if you claim a relationship with him, that means that information has moved to relationship. And when that happens, God will then change you. There will be transformation. And if there isn't, there is not yet relationship. So John is saying to everyone in his generation and each generation since, look closely at yourself. And if you claim a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ, but there has been no change in your life, it has simply remained information. God has not yet adopted you into his family. God has not yet regenerated you. God has not done yet done that great change work. If you can find peace in your mind and heart, staying content in the darkness, while at the same time claiming that you have a relationship with Jesus, you're living a lie, John is saying. Now, why is that so important? Because in John's day, there were thousands and thousands of people who were saying, I, I believe he's arisen, even though I never saw him. And I believe he is who he claims to be. And, and, and I guess that makes me a Christian. But there was no change in their lives. And they felt very comfortable living in that darkness still. So, so John was saying there is living proof that God has in fact become real in your life when there's change. And you can look at it carefully every time you face a choice, any kind of a choice, what to say, what attitude to show, what decision to make, where you're going to walk in life. Every time you face a choice, in your heart, you ought to be able to discern the difference between what God would want you to do to bring honor to Him and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, and what the darkness would want you to do. And if you find yourself going in the direction of darkness without a strong conviction of the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are not yet a transformed follower of Jesus Christ. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, but we still walk in the darkness, we're living a lie. And the truth is not in us. But, do you see it says next? But if we walk in the truth, his truth, just as he is in the truth, we will have fellowship with one another because the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And it's that purity that unites us. John goes on and he says, if we claim that we don't have any sin... Oh, we've got another problem. We're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, but if we'll recognize that, that each of us is a sinful person, and we will confess our sin, we'll acknowledge our sin before God, we'll tell the truth, and we'll repent of our sin, then he promises that he will be faithful to his promise, and he'll be just, and he'll forgive our sin, and then he'll cleanse us from all the stain of that sin, and he'll heal us from the brokenness of it. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him, Jesus, out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, I challenged you to look down at your feet and ask yourself the question, was the path that you were walking taking you away from Jesus or toward Jesus in obedience? Remember that? Have you done it a few times? Somebody told me that later that week they rendezvoused with another person at a store. And uh, they asked him, so how are you doing today? And the person said, I'm watching my feet. <laughs> yeah. 
John is saying the same thing. Take a close look, he's saying, because so easily you can have an intellectual assent to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ without allowing him to change your heart. So look closely, especially on a communion Sunday, John is saying, to see, do you see the evidence that Jesus has changed your heart and you're a different person by his work? Could I invite you to do something this week? Maybe this afternoon if it keeps raining like this and you can't go out. Take a piece of paper and open up to 1 John and start writing for yourself, starting in verse 5, only personalize it like this. This is the message we've heard from him and declare God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If I claim to have fellowship with Jesus, yet I walk in the darkness, I am a liar and I do not live by the truth. But if I walk in the light as he is in the light, I will have fellowship with other believers who trust in Jesus Christ and whose lives have been changed, and the blood of Jesus Christ will purify me from all my sin. If I claim to be without sin, I deceive myself, and the truth is not in me. But if I confess my sin, he promises that he'll be faithful and just and will forgive me of my sin and purify me from all my unrighteousness. If I claim that I have never sinned, I'm making him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in my life. If you'll write that out and watch yourself as you're writing it and ask God to show you you, it will be one of the most powerful experiences you've ever had as the Holy Spirit of God helps you to see you from his perspective. And my hope is that it's not a judgmental experience, it's a hopeful experience as you recognize that in each case, if we claim, but there's hope. Look at chapter 2 there. But if anybody does sin, <clears throat> verse 1, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. So if as you're writing it, you recognize, yes, God, I am a sinner. You can celebrate that Jesus Christ stands in the presence of God the Father, ready to be your mediator, your advocate. Amen? Now, why is that so important? Because our families are watching us. Our children and our grandchildren are trying to discern, is the relationship that my parents or my grandparents claim to have with Jesus, is it authentic? Is it genuine? Is it real? We ordered our summer books early this year. I brought two of them to Pastor Gillespie and Barb this week, one of each. Andy Stanley's book, Enemies of the Heart, and Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing Prayer with Jesus. We have them out there for you now. Listen to this. We cannot control everything our children experience, but we can influence how they process what life sends their way. We can teach our children and our grandchildren to guard their hearts against the inevitable firestorms of life that will come their way. And he writes, the people that I meet who are often teetering on the brink of disaster relationally or financially are all dealing with the same thing, heart problems. 
Their anger has caused irreparable damage to their career and their relationships. Their unresolved personal guilt has driven them to hide behind high walls that they have built which prevent them from being hurt again and from trust relationships. Their greed has taken its toll on their lifestyle. Their jealousy has driven a wedge in their marriage and their relationships. These men and women and teenagers failed to guard their hearts. The question that I must wrestle with as a parent is this. When my children grow old enough to pack their cars and leave home for the last time, what will be packed in their hearts? What can I now do to prepare my children or my grandchildren for the day when their hearts are totally their own responsibility? What are we doing, my dear friends, to help our children and our grandchildren assume responsibility for their hearts, for their attitudes, for their actions, for their words, and having learned from us the wonderful truth that the risen Lord Jesus can heal any broken heart, amen, can break the bonds of any chains that hold you, can restore any relationship. Do you believe that the Jesus we've been worshiping and praising this morning can deal with any issue in your life or your family. We now have, uh, I think, seven police officers that are part of our church family. And I received a call, uh, I think it was Friday, that one of them had received the 911 call and was the first to arrive on the scene of the suicide that you may have heard about that took place in Sharon. A 12-year-old boy who took a gun and shot himself. And I don't know the details of why. I don't know the family. By God's grace, there are folks in this church who do know the family, and there's some connection there. But one more time, a young person in this beautiful county of Walworth County has come to the place where they've said, I can't possibly. May I tell you, though, another story that's a remarkable story of help? and hope. There's another family that lives in Walworth County that experienced the gut-wrenching pain of suicide uh, many months ago. They are still recovering from the loss of their child, not understanding why. Uh, one of them received this week a text message, as I understand it, from a niece. Dear Uncle so-and-so, I have a friend who's contemplating suicide. He's cutting himself, and he's talking openly about it. What should I say to him? How can I help him? And this dad, who himself had lost a child not long ago, responded back, get his parents to him as quickly as possible, and get him to a hospital where he can get professional help, and let us know if we can help. That family brought that young man here to Lakeland Hospital. And the texts continued back and forth, and pretty soon the mother in the family here that had lost a child a little more than a year ago is texting with the mother of a son who's contemplating suicide back and forth. And finally, that mother says, we need to go to Lakeland Hospital and visit this mother and her son. She hadn't been back since when her own daughter had died in that place. 
And she walked into that room, as you might imagine, the emotions just pouring out of her, and said to the young man, as I understand it, I don't even know your name. I know nothing about why you're here, but I'm begging you, please, don't take your life. Your family will be broken like our family has been. And she went on to beg him to fight for life. As I understand it, he got up out of that bed and he says, I don't understand how two strangers who don't even know my name would be willing to come in the middle of the night and beg me to not take my life. But because you have, I promise you, I won't take my life. That broken-hearted mom, out of her brokenness, helped save the life of another mother's child. I don't exactly know where she is in her relationship with Jesus Christ, but I have the privilege of building a relationship with her and her family. And we've talked together and we've prayed together. The point that I'm making, my dear friends, is that you and I live in a county where there is an awful lot of desperately hurting people who long to know people for whom this is real and who can speak hope into desperate situations. Isn't that true? and can offer hands of help in desperate situations. And that's why it's so vitally important that you have moved from information about Jesus to a relationship with Jesus. And that as you've done that, He has done His transforming work in you. So you can start with your own children and grandchildren, helping them to know the Jesus you know, and then reaching out to a county where there's thousands who don't know anybody who knows Jesus like this. Amen? And that's why we're going to receive communion. To thank him for making a changed life possible for anyone. Let's talk to him. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so very, very much for who you are. And Lord Jesus, the difference you have made in the lives of many of the people in this room and millions around the world And we thank you, O God, that at this moment, right now, you're ready to do that change work again in each of us. O God, are there some among us who claim a relationship with you but yet are in the darkness? Please, right now, in this moment, in response to their invitation, I'm asking that you would unleash in them your life-changing power. Are there some in this room who have never trusted you, Lord Jesus, to be their Savior? If that's you, my friends, right now is a perfect moment, right where you're sitting in the quietness of this moment. You just acknowledge in quiet prayer to Jesus that you trust him to be who he claims to be, God incarnate. And that when he died on the cross, he did pay your sin price so that God can pardon you for your sin, forgive you for your sin, because Jesus paid the price for your sin. And because he's not a dead Savior, he's a risen Savior, you can invite him to do that life-changing, loving work in you, starting right now. And he'd be delighted to. And if you know, my friends, that maybe you haven't been living in the darkness, but you stray into the darkness, you dabble in the darkness from time to time, This morning is a great morning for you and Jesus to get that relationship restored to the place where it should be. Just invite him to do that fresh new work in you and identify why it is that you keep drifting into that darkness and turn from that, repent from that. Here at Calvary Community Church, we 
do not expect you to be a member of Calvary to receive communion with us. We only ask, please, that at some point in your life you're sure you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior so that He is your Father and you can speak to Him as Father and He speaks to you as son or daughter. And so that as you receive these elements, you're celebrating what Jesus has accomplished in your life. We'll just stay in an attitude of prayer and worship as the men serve us the bread that symbolizes the broken body of Jesus Christ, broken by the unleashing of the wrath of God poured out for our sin. Please serve us, men.